0: I've never known such low morale across the church such an overwhelming sense of uncertainty and the pain and the angst that you describe are absolutely real now let's not try and ignore that by you know putting big broad smiles on that would just be shallow and nobody would believe and let's not just pretend that that these realities are not facing us but if we can't be hopeful of all the people then you know who can I'm not necessarily hopeful for, uh, this is going to sound pretty stark, but the survival of the institution that many of us have known and loved through many a year. But am I hopeful for the continuation of a people of God, a church in Scotland? Absolutely. And I want to be part of the way of paving towards that. I think about it in some ways, those of us that have been in ministry for a long time, I think of the relay race at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games and so on, and there's a baton to be passed on, and we absolutely need to do that, but not to prescribe what church might look like in time to come. What we can say for sure is it won't look like it does now. Am I hopeful? Yes.
1: Welcome to Emerging Emmaus, and in this exciting podcast, we have the very Reverend Martin Fair. What on earth is he doing now? Well, you're going to find out, and we're going to get a view from Fair, and of course, his own podcast is well worth listening to Be Fair. Um, we'll find out more about that and what's happening across the church from his perspective. So, join us now. Well, it's great to introduce our normal hosts. We have Ruth Kennedy.
2: Hi there, everyone. I'm not going to go for the rolling R's, but it's brilliant to be back with you all.
1: And
3: Steve Aesthorpe. Hey, everyone. Great to be back again.
1: And Martin Fear. Martin, it is great to have you. And I believe you've been listening
0: to the podcasts yourself. I have, Neil, and thank you for wel- welcoming me to be here. I've been on the other side of it until now, listening, and uh, what a treat to be here with you guys to to do this one. So, yeah, thanks for having me.
1: And we're we're privileged to have you. And well, it's natural for a lot of people who know of Martin Fair, our former moderator, taking us through a year when we were in pandemic and and helping us adjust. And finding out that you have, of course, moved on from St. Andrew's in Arbroath, where you were minister for, what, at least 30 years. And, and, and we're not quite sure what you're doing now, Martin. Have you, have you departed? Have you left the building?
0: What on earth is Martin Fair up to now? Well, um, to some extent, I'm working that out as I go along, uh, but a wee bit more about that, Neil, as we go. I can tell you that leaving my parish, as you said, the St Andrew's Church in Arbroath, after 31 years, uh, was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Uh, the decision to leave, in hindsight, was much tougher than the decision to go there in the first place. Um, Back then, I was, what age was I, 27, just starting out in parish ministry. And uh, we were called there, we were excited. But boy, leaving after all that time was the toughest thing. Uh, I didn't want to leave. You know, I wasn't miserable, wasn't unhappy, wasn't, uh, you know, fed up, you know, wanting to turn the page. And if my sense had been that God's call upon me was to stay put, Uh, Stay in her the whole of my ministry, I would not have been in any way disappointed. But a few months back, um, I had opportunity to look at a new role that was being created nationally for the church. And you know, when the email came in about it, I actually sent it straight to the trash. I didn't even open it uh, when I saw it was about a new role. And then later that evening, something prompted me and I went back, I recovered the email And I opened it and the first reading of it, I thought, well, actually, I think I could do that. But that wasn't enough in itself. I mean, be able to do something isn't the same as a strong sense of God calling you to it. So naturally, uh, Elaine and I began to pray about it, reflect on it. And well, to cut a long story short, my sense was that this was God calling me into a new chapter. Well, it was really difficult after that telling the congregation that I was leaving bear in mind these folk are my family every bit as much as my family and so it was painful lots of tears but never a doubting once I'd taken the decision that this was what I was being called to so here I am now in a new national role getting to grips with it and excited about what it will involve.
1: And and tell us what you are doing uh, and what you uh,
0: you know aspire to do? Okay, well, keeping it as simple as I can, there are three parts to it, Neil. Number one, we are very short of people sensing themselves called to serve in ministry in the church. I don't just mean uh, ministers of word and sacrament in that very traditional sense, in all the ways in which we can serve within the church. Now, one would have to analyse why that is the case, but We know it to be so. So part of my role will be trying to reinvigorate a sense of vocation, uh, a sense that God calls us and asks us to be obedient to that call and that there are various roles within his church that, that, yeah, that we can aspire to be in and called to. So that's number one. It's about vocation and how do we encourage vocation? The second thing is this. The world has changed so drastically, even in recent years, but certainly over recent generations. And is the training and preparation that we're giving to our ministers, is it suitable? Is it right? Is it adequate? Are people coming through our processes ready for ministry in 21st century secular Scotland? Now, we can ask Ruth her thoughts to that in a wee moment because she's just come through it. But many of us are sensing We need to look very carefully at what we do to prepare people. And the third element of what I'm doing is to support people in their early years in ministry, particularly those first five years. You see, here's the thing. These years can be make or break, and they can be very difficult. We used to talk about a honeymoon period in ministry that maybe you would have a year or so getting used to it. Now you're just thrown right in, and you've got to learn really quickly. And the stresses and strains put upon you are immense. So sadly, we are losing some ministers in the early stages or others are finding themselves off long-term sick, that's not good enough. We need to get alongside people and put in place all of the support that's required to get people uh, through those early years and standing and feeling that they know what they're about and good to go. So three things there, all to do with ministry. How do we raise people up to ministry? How do we prepare them for it? And how do we support them once we're in it? Does that make sense,
1: Neil? No, oh, it does. It does. And what a job! Uh, you're not going to be alone in that. I, I hope. I'm sure you're not, but you're going to be helping stir and grow vision for this, I imagine, and 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 plans for this. And I suppose maybe just before we bring Ruth in, uh, because we do want to hear about your experience in training and. And now in early years of, of ministry, or ordained ministry. Martin, you strike me as a, a very optimistic person. Uh, you strike me as 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 a as a very resilient person. You 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 fell a few years ago, and and you're not able to golf as well as you as you used to. But you still play with one hand. Is that right? I do, Neil. Wow. And you still hike? I do, Neil. And you still follow that that team in Glasgow playing red, white and blue, I think. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> and and that takes a bit of resilience as well at the moment, I imagine. But in terms of the Church of Scotland, we're at, a, we're at a very low ebb. We're managing decline. There's a lot of chagrin, a lot of pain, a lot of renting of clothes, a lot of grief and lament. Are you, are you hopeful? Are you Are you hopeful in the midst of
0: all of this? I am. But that is not for one minute to deny or disregard what you've just described, which I find to be spot on, Neil. I've never known such low morale across the church, such a lack of confidence, such an overwhelming sense of uncertainty. And the pain and the angst that you describe are absolutely real. Now, let's not try and ignore that by you know, putting big, broad smiles on that would just be shallow and nobody would believe. And let's not just pretend that, that these realities are not facing us. But if we can't be hopeful of all the people, then, you know, who can? I'm not necessarily hopeful for, uh, this is going to sound pretty stark, but the survival of the institution that many of us have known and loved through many a year. But am I hopeful for the continuation of a people of God, a church in Scotland, absolutely. And I want to be part of the way of of paving towards that. I think about it in some ways, those of us that have been in ministry for a long time, I think of the relay race at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games and so on. And there's a baton to be passed on. And we absolutely need to do that. But not to prescribe what church might look like in time to come. What we can say for sure is it won't look like it does now. But am I hopeful? Yes. Neil, you'll be familiar, some of the the listeners possibly as well, with the story from Jeremiah. Now, he was a prophet of doom, you might say. He spoke about what was coming, and it wasn't good news, and the fall of the city of Jerusalem was imminent. And what did Jeremiah do in that circumstance? He bought a field. He invested in property, as it were. Now, that made no sense whatsoever. It would be like saying to somebody today, Look, there's a real uh, good marketing property prospect. You could buy something in in Khartoum in, in, in Sudan or, or or Kiev in in Ukraine. Now, I'm I'm not making light of that because these are serious situations. But if somebody proposed that to you, you'd think <laughs> not in your life. And um, why would I invest there? Jeremiah was making a point. He was you know looking around and saying, yes, this is coming. On the face of it, there's not much to hope for. But we have a God who is above the circumstances, who will lead us through dark valleys. So he bought a field. And I think in some ways, me taking up this role is my own personal version of buying a field. It's as if to say, I genuinely believe that God is at work in Scotland and that God will continue to work through his faithful people. And by coming into the church Rather than, let's say, departing, I'm sort of putting down something myself and saying, I'm hopeful, I still believe we've got much to look forward to.
1: That's very very encouraging. And what about ruth and, and steve because both of you have been involved with well ruth you, you you've been in your probation period recently well you have been and now you're in a role that is kind of whole as a kind of holding pattern but you're not wasting your time you're involved in pioneering mission which is fantastic and steve you you've been spending some time with some of the probationers lately but maybe ruth maybe you could give us i mean there's it's been pretty frustrating for you but you know in terms of changing and allowing you know what's been happening lately to influence And guide under God and His Word, the Holy Spirit. What's been your experience, and what would you be feeding to Martin in terms of what we could be doing?
2: Do you know one of the things that I really love about our conversations on this podcast is that we never shy away from the hurt, we don't shy away from the tricky issues that we are facing and we are going through. But I also love that we don't overdwell in that season, and certainly. Martin, just listening to you already, that's what I'm hearing from you. I'm hearing that, yep, you acknowledge where the church is at, but not overdwelling in that place and thinking it's going to stay here because you know it's going to grow because that's what God does. God grows his faithful. Um, and I think I have that theme through my training as well. You know, for me and my cohort, we uh, graduated and, and we finished up our probations last summer and a number of us are ordained uh, into the 18-month contracts. I happen to have a a wonderful place. I am pioneering ministry with the under 40s in Dunblane in month nine of it and it's just a real blessed time. There's challenges, of course there are, but that's what you want to find, aren't there? You want to find the challenges so you can polish up those stones and find the treasures there and it's, it's just fantastic. Um, and when I first started the training process, what feels like years ago, this wasn't the norm. So when I went in, it wasn't a case that there might have been 10, 12 more of us that were going into pioneering ministry posts. It The, the norm was, no, you go into a parish ministry post and you're looking at maybe there's some linkages, maybe there's some unions, but it There was that expectation, certainly from myself um, and from just the materials that we looked at and the conferences and such like as well. However, here's God at work. So my very first conference I was at in St Andrews, which was my only in-person conference whilst I was not in probation because of COVID. So we had all of that while we were going through our training. We had three days. And one of those days was all focused on pioneering. It was such a treat. So even then, back maybe about five years ago now, there were seeds clearly coming out and vision that was clearly growing that pioneering ministry was going to be needed. I was just thinking this through and reflecting on this with a friend who's another pioneer minister. He's a a community pioneer minister up in Forest. And we were both saying that, you know, let's take or rather let's be aware of the fact that there are many of us who feel called to pioneering ministry. And I'm thankful that during the course of my training that we did have, there was flexibility and it was very adaptive in terms of we didn't just look at the traditional forms of ministry. We did look at pioneering ministry. And we did look at things from alternative viewpoints. I mean, as a someone who loves pioneering ministry, I would say I could easily have had more because I love it. It was, it was through there. And certainly as we look to that point of growth, we can't stay, even the training, the training can't stay where it is now. It's going to have to keep growing. So I'm delighted that, Martin, you're there to review it, to move it forward. You've got an eye on another point of growth in the future there's that kind of vision knowing that this is this is growing we had steve actually come along and help us set up a community of practice for those of us who left per- probation went straight into pioneering ministry posts and it has been a wonderful source of support learning, reflecting, teaching, growing. It's a community that I would really advocate for current candidates and probationers. So if I was to make a plea for Martin in terms of the training and recruitments, that's certainly one of the things I would encourage uh, to establish would be these communities of practice whereby you walk with one another and not change every year but you're you're there through the process together.
1: And Steve do you want do you want to feed into this?
3: Gosh, yeah. I mean, both what Martin has said and, and Ruth though just ringing so many bells for me. I mean, I I do share with what Martin said that um you know, despite all the very real um pain and grief and and difficulty that's around at the moment, there is clear evidence that God is doing a new thing. And one of those bits of evidence is what Ruth just said that in the latest cohort of um, ordained people who've entered ordained ministry, there is a large proportion of them who have this, this heart for, for breaking new ground, you know, not just to go in and keep something going, but actually to connect with, with people who are beyond the, the orbit of our existing churches. Uh, that's one bit of evidence. Yeah, I think another bit of evidence is last time we did the congregational statistics, 553 parishes said, yes, we're associated with some kind of new worshipping community. Um, and we've been following that up and finding out what did they actually mean when they, they said that, uh, and and finding an encouraging response that, you know, in every case, they're doing something great. But in uh, in more than half of cases, there is a a new community, which is largely people who were not associated with the church before. So, you know, there's something going on. There's a movement that's going on. It's not just about Church of Scotland. It's much wider than that. It's across the whole church within Scotland. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was really excited when I heard Martin was was going into this, this new role. Well, I was excited to hear that there was such a role with that kind of agenda that Martin outlined, because uh, it's so needed but also that Martin was going into it because i think you know at the heart of pioneering is is the the sense of being able to find a way you know that god, god finds a way you know if if we see ourselves as breaking new ground we need to tap into that and come alongside what god is doing and find a new way and you know martin you've been somebody you've who finds a way you know you, you are the pandemic moderator <laughs> you know and you must have had so many disappointments in that year actually of things you were looking forward to doing you know going to different parts of the world and engaging with the, the wider church and things a lot of it wasn't possible but you you found a way and you kind of demonstrated that that spirit of finding a way when things are tough really encouraged to hear of that agenda and that you're a person who's going to be taking it forward
1: and we can give you a chance to respond to to these comments martin and perhaps we can we can think about you know lots of people listening to this podcast are not ordained ministers are not going to be ordained ministers and in fact some are thinking uh, you know help my bob if everybody's going into pioneer ministry who's going who's coming to my my new union you know where, where are the ministers going to and and going to come from and and of course it, it it exposes and highlights one of the challenges huge challenges for us is to is to grow the people of god and the, to help us all to see that we've all got ministries we've all got roles to play and it's it's growing the whole people of God that's really going to, to see things come through.
0: Do you want to respond to any of what you've you've heard Ruth and Steve say? And then we can maybe go on to that. Yes yeah, sure Neil and uh and we will come back to what you just said and uh, I've seen it for myself in recent weeks. So let's let's return to that. But Ruth, it thrills me that yourself and others uh have this sense of call. I don't know maybe even there's room to unpack what we mean by pioneering, but even If we don't know the term, technically speaking, it suggests something new, doesn't it? It suggests going to new places and and doing different things. And so I rejoice to have you and others who are sensing that call. You talked about me as the the pandemic moderator, which is is quite a good phrase. I'm going to hang on to that one. Yeah, there was a huge amount of initial disappointment when, first of all, the General Assembly was cancelled. That would have been like my assembly, so to speak. And do you know that was the first time the assembly had been cancelled since 1689? It came through plagues, Jacobite uprisings, world wars. Always the General Assembly met, but not in 2020. So that was quite something. But here's the thing. You can sit and wallow in misery and despair and feel sorry for yourself, or you can get up and get on. And see what can be done. Now, I referenced Jeremiah earlier. What about Elijah when he had sort of taken on the prophets of Baal, and uh, and then Jezebel put a, a you know a price tag on his head, and and Jeremiah fled into the wilderness, and we hear about him sort of sheltering under a bush and feeling thoroughly miserable. You can imagine him saying, "Lord, I've..." I've served you faithfully, I've been courageous for you, and this is how it ended up. And so he's sitting there, misery guts, and God says, what What are you doing there? What are you doing there, Elijah? He calls him back to where it matters, asks him to get back on his feet. And so in that year serving as moderator, I mean, I could have just sat and thought, well, that's, you know, that's that. But you've got to hang on to the truth that when some doors close, others open. I take, for example, I think I was two weeks two weeks into the role and it was the Sunday of Pentecost. Now, ordinarily, according to the schedule, I would have been in a, in a wee rural church in Aberdeenshire that day, which would have been lovely. I think if they dragged out the whole village, there would have been about 80 people would have showed up and that would have been a smashing and splendid occasion. As it was, uh, we decided to make the first of our sort of online worship services and make it available for the whole church. And that got viewed in the tens of thousands of times. So you're suddenly thinking, well, OK, that's not going to happen, but this could happen. So let's see how we can exploit the digital media that's going to be the only lifeline that we've got to reaching out to our people and beyond to the country. And, that, you know, what became exciting and I absolutely loved it. And yes, there were some disappointments, but no regrets. You know, looking back, many people have said to me, you were the right person at the right time. And I, I feel richly blessed that God's always ahead, isn't he? And that none of us had heard of COVID when I was nominated to be moderator. And yet it worked out. And some of my colleague moderators, if I can put it that way, before or afterwards, Sort of said, gosh, I'm glad it was you. I wouldn't have known where to start, you know, with the technology and things like that. So God is good in all of these times. So take that and apply it to the life of the church right now. We could wallow in misery for long enough. And we could feel miserable about all of the downturns, the decline, the closures, all of that. We could just sit and feel sorry for ourselves. But is that what God's calling us to right now? Okay, let's acknowledge the hurt. You mentioned the word lament, Neil. Let's find songs of lament, prayers of lament, a spirituality that allows for the pain and the tears. But it's not one we linger in indefinitely. We get up and we get on. That's the bit that excites me. Sensational.
1: And you mentioned you've noticed shoots of new life. That's what I sensed what you were suggesting in terms of people of God coming alive and realising that that we don't necessarily need a, a a guy with a collar up the front, though that can help. Uh, to tell us a wee bit about that, Martin.
0: Sure. Well, we need leaders, Neil. There's, I mean, there's no question about that. Leaders come in all shapes and sizes, but we need leaders, whether they've got collars on or not is beside the point. We do need leaders. And uh, and we're looking for emerging leaders, even in these days, and we're wanting to invest in leaders and, and, and equip leaders and release leaders. There's no question of that. But you talked about that it's not just ministers in the traditional sense. I've had opportunity during my year as moderator, so much was closed, and when lockdown wasn't affecting us, and even in recent weeks since I left my own congregation to go about churches it's been great you know most of us in ministry we're only ever in one place it's, it's our own place it's been wonderful going around and many times we've showed up at a church and there's not been a minister it's been local people elders or otherwise who've led the service let me say this hand on heart I have not left once from such an occasion and felt short-changed The worship's been great and it's been an affirmation that God will use all kinds of people. It's not that we want to have everybody become a minister in that sense, uh, but we need everybody ready to serve. You mentioned my football uh, allegiance earlier, Neil. Let's put it this way. We need everybody on the field. This is not a time for people to sit in the stand and watch. We need everybody on the field a play, ready to participate, ready to use their God-given gifts and See when we get the team playing together, wow, the sky's the limit. So the whole people of God, let's be having you.
1: Yes, let's step up, let's step up. You've hit the ground ground running. I'm sure in terms of your role, Martin. What's happening? What's what's emerging in in your mind in terms of you know it's 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 early days. I know, and there's longer term strategy going to have to be worked out. But uh, what what what's what 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 have you found yourself getting excited about? Challenged by?
0: Well, let me say right up front. I'm certainly not a solo operator here. I've come to be part of a team and what a great team it is. It's always better, isn't it? Always better to be with others. You share ideas, you you generate things. And so I'm part of a brilliant team and I'm really thankful for that. From almost from the day I arrived here, although it was a big culture shift to leave the parish, the folk around me made me think, yeah, this is going to be okay. Let me just open up one of the possibilities that we are looking at. We've always placed a big emphasis on education for ministry being university-based, and that's fine, because the Church of Scotland values an educated ministry. But there are other ways to learn. I have a friend too, who runs an engineering company, and every year he takes on two graduates who've just come out with some kind of engineering degree and he says it's great having them but the first thing I've got to teach them to do is how to hold a screwdriver or or something like that because they've got all the head knowledge but they don't even know where to start. Um, At the same time he takes on apprentices and apprentices from day one are learning on the job. Now imagine that model for our preparation for ministry. And you're getting close to one of the streams that we're very seriously exploring right now. For want of a better phrase, it would be an apprenticeship model. So the learning would be from day one on the ground in a real life situation. So the emphasis would be on that. And you would be released from it, whether day release or for blocks of time to do the academic training. But you see how there's a balance, you know, a shift in balance there rather than saying, this is essentially about university and we'll add on a placement. We're saying this is going to be essentially about learning in the world, in the real situation, and we'll add on your training academically that is required that you'll need in ministry. So it's a sort of shift there. This wouldn't do away with the traditional route. Some people, For some people that will still be right. But Neil, I've got a strong hunch that there might be a lot of people out there who would be drawn to training for ministry if they heard it described in that way. You're going to get your hands on, you're going to get involved, you're going to learn, sometimes by making mistakes, but you're going to be doing it in real life situation. Now, how does that land with you? How does that sound as I describe it?
2: I've got uh, three teenage boys and two of them are at the very senior end of it all and So we're looking at what happens next. And of course, they're looking at foundation apprenticeships, modern apprenticeships, graduate apprenticeships, in addition to university. And I have to say that that kind of variety is fantastic because not everybody learns in an academic way. There are people that much prefer practical assessments and learning in, well, just exactly as you're you're describing in that kind of kinetic way where you're involved and physically active and moving and building the relationships because so much of ministry is the relationships we have with, yes, each other as our peers, but much more so the people that were there to serve. I firmly believe that in every placement I was in, God sent me there to serve and learn and to love, you know, and that was reciprocal. And I loved this whole approach whereby we'll have candidates and people training for Various roles in ministry, because there's many works of ministry, isn't there? But having that opportunity to also build the relationships with people in and around them as well. And um, that is, it's almost you can't assess that, uh, but it's its the crucial part with it all, so much of it all.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the idea of a variety of of ways of of preparation, formation, training because the truth is people are, are at very different places already and and they need preparing for very different things you know, I mentioned before that you know the 253 parishes who said there was a new worshiping community so you know as we followed up on that we found that the majority of them were not led by a, a minister of, of word and sacrament they' were led by a variety of people and that's just one example within the church you know there are lots of people doing lots of things already kind of, getting on with it and I'm sure many of those people would welcome the opportunity to to grow and to to train for what they're already doing but also to to develop into new new pathways. I always think the church as a whole you know one of the keys is is diversity you know diversity of offerings you know our our human community is is full of diversity and uh, church needs to reflect that. And within the church, the the opportunities for for service and preparing for service need to be diverse as well. So yeah, I really welcome that.
1: And the use of the word apprenticeship itself is helpful, I think. It's transferable, it's synonymous with discipleship, isn't it? It, But it's maybe a more accessible word and descriptive word for us today. And we use that word in 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 our congregation here. Uh, you know, it's about apprenticing each other in Christ and growing each other in, up into Christ. It's 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 not just for 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 those that are, are going to be uh, in a paid employment in the church. It's 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 us all, and so. Hopefully, I mean, I I do sense that this is not just it's not just looking towards preparing ordained ministers, but it's but but this is an ethos that hopefully is 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 being experienced and expressed in in other dimensions of of the the different people that are being employed by the church now. Martin, is that
0: is that the case? Well, absolutely, and even just not people being employed, Neil. But that, imagine a culture change across the church where we all sensed ourselves as disciples, as followers. We were all hungry for more of God, to learn more of his ways, how he would have us live our lives, how he would have us serve. We want to create a culture of learning right across the church where just that people would be eager and so right now one of the other things we're working hard on it will come to pass in its first iteration uh, at the end of the summer is what we're going to call an fancy words here, but an integrated training program. It'll be a one-stop shop where anyone across the church, elders, members, ministers, session clerks, anybody can come and find opportunities, courses to do individually or as part of groups to learn. There's nothing worse than maybe it was a culture at one stage. You graduated Sunday school and that was it. You You thought you'd arrived. We need lifelong learning. We need to always be following and never imagine that we've arrived or that we've got there and somehow that's that so yes training learning apprenticing for for all of us
1: and steve ruth we've not got that many, many much time for questions uh, and takeaways but are there, are there any burning questions that you've got that you are just dying to ask martin
2: actually i have a burning question for our listeners i'd love to hear your comments and thoughts on what martin has been saying You know, just on the podcast, whether you're listening to it live as it goes out or later on, I would really love to hear what your thoughts are with it, because we've got ours, you've heard ours. But my question is, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I love the the vision that you're putting forward, Martin, of a of a church that is full of ministers. If I had a pound for every time somebody had said to me when I've turned up at a church, because you know, I must have been to I don't know hundreds of churches I guess over the years, and people say, "Are you a minister?" And I always used to say, "Absolutely," but not probably not as you meant it, because you know I'm not I'm not an ordained minister of word and sacrament, and that's usually what they meant. So you know it is a it is a culture change. And I think something I've heard you talk about in the past, quite a few years ago, was um, was trust, the importance of of trust. And I think you know we saw that lived out in um, in St Andrews in our growth, you know, and a, and a lot of people finding finding their way into ministry in the broadest possible sense. I wonder if you say something about that, you know, this paradigm shift that you talked about and the role of of trust in that.
0: Yeah, for sure, Steve. The Probably the most significant ministry in my 31 years there was the, the service we ran for people struggling with addiction. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't my idea, and I didn't deliver it. It was folk in the congregation. Ordinary folk, you might say. And none of them would have thought themselves as ministers. None of them would have thought themselves as particularly gifted. But, wow, they were open to God's prompting. Uh, and to what God wanted to do through them and therefore through our church. So my role in there was creating space. And that is a key role of a leader, to be a permission giver and to say to people, I believe in you. And to put it as you've just put it, to say, I trust you to get on with it. Uh, There was no need for me to micromanage it. I believed they were sensing God, they were being obedient there and so absolutely you have to trust people to get on with things and not be constantly looking over their shoulders or uh, you know ultimately people become a little bit discouraged that way. I'd love to see that across the whole of church culture actually when it comes to uh, even from General Assembly down you know can we trust one another we're all on the same side here Uh, so let's work together. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for that, Steve. Absolutely. And Martin, let's let us give you
1: a final word uh, if you want one. Uh, you know, speaking to our, our listeners, what, what would you like to be saying uh, as a parting shot?
0: Neil, I was on the way down to Glasgow on Saturday. I, I was speaking at an Alpha um, Day conference, which was great. It's kind of frustrating because it was it was about a mile away from Ibrox and uh, on Paisley Road West. The church and I'm thinking, in other circumstances, I would have been going to the the old firm match. But there you have it. I was serving. So, on the train down, I was thinking about this climate that you talked about earlier. The lack of morale and the despondency that's around and the decline. You know, you just look at the statistics for the Church of Scotland. You medical decline and so on. It's very, it is. You know, it's gloomy. There's no escaping that. But there I was sat in the train going through Perthshire and suddenly I had a sense of Gideon and he has an army raised up to face the Midianites. He's got 32,000 soldiers and the first thing he's got to do is lose uh, lose 22,000 of them. Now if you're going into battle, I think the sense is you want as many as you can possibly get. And there Gideon's left with 10,000, even that would appear to be too many. And he ends up with a hundred faithful folk. Now, I'm not saying that exactly parallels our situation, but with those hundred, Gideon won the victory. So, yes, these are troubling and, and difficult times. God is not dependent on numbers alone. And if those of us who are here can be faithful as Gideon and his followers were, what might God do? With and through us. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's hopeful and it kind of gets a bit of a buzz because all things are possible and I'm hanging on to that. Yes, yes, yes. Jeremiah, Elijah, Gideon, Dr.
1: Fair, thank you very, very much. Blessings on us all as we go. Let's be encouraged. Let's be open to the Spirit moving in and through us. Amen. 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 In your neighbourhood, trudge two dumped Jesus friends, drowning before dawning, moving through a maze of misery to an amazing Emmaus encounter, emerging Emmaus.
2: Good grief, our dream is dead. Going home instead, comfort of my bed.
3: Good grief, the pain. Hope hard to sustain, love down the drain.
2: Good grief, where have you been? What we've seen? Blown to smithereens.
3: Good grief, how our hearts burned, our minds turned, or all we learned. Good grief,
2: don't go away, come in to stay, you've shown the way.
3: Good grief, how he broke the bread with hands that bled, then disappeared.
2: Good grief, Jesus alive, no need to strive chance to thrive Jesus alive.
3: Good grief, no time to waste. Now we have a taste to Jerusalem with haste.
1: Emerging Emmaus. A well-kent lament echoes through the years. How long? How long? Good as is the grieving process. May it be a means to access visions and dreams of Christ's kingdom come. Emmaus. Emerge from the gloom. Come, Holy Spirit, come. So for future podcasts, join us via the Sanctuary First website, Facebook page and app, and also via Spotify and Apple podcasts. Come on, tune in.